Hello and welcome to the June 26th, 2018 edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. My name is Mr. Joe. This is my neighborhood. This is my life. But this is our podcast journey. Welcome to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast. It is great to have you here with me today, and of course, it is wonderful to be with you. We have actually quite a bit to talk about. Uh, I feel like I am constantly apologizing for the delay in podcasts, and this time around... um, There has been infrequent podcasts that I've reported on an incredible amount of struggles in my life. I do a lot of complaining. I try to do a lot of educating. I do a lot of sharing some of my personal experiences, present and past, and I try to advise. Uh, I try to stay even keel on my podcasts. try to stay somewhat... Um, neutral with all my opinions and to some extent factual Uh, but there are some times in my life where many of you do not know that I am struggling and maybe a couple of days go by and I feel better at that particular day and then I pop on to my podcast recording uh, equipment and I talk And it's not that I ever want to leave out information. I I love sharing with my audience, but there are just some times that I forget. Forget to report on some of my feelings, because when you're feeling good, you tend to forget what might have felt, what you might have gone through a couple of days prior. But let me tell you, I have not forgotten this. First and foremost, Suboxone. Suboxone is done. Suboxone is out of my system. I am completely off, and I've been off, and I actually have no uh, no more side effects at all, no more withdrawal symptoms. So I went about this the, in the appropriate manner. I did my tapering process exactly how I would have liked. Could I have done it an extra six or seven or eight days to minimize the couple of days that I really struggled at the end? Probably, but you know what? I got through it. Got through it, and I'm proud of myself, and I, I hope that my audience is proud of my, me as well. I'm, I'm done. It's gone. It's, well, it's out of me. I have nothing else to do with Suboxone. It's, it feels like a relief. It really does. Now, obviously, I have to work hard at maintaining my sobriety because I'm no longer on a medicated, assisted treatment type of uh, drug that will stop the cravings because that's really what it does to some extent. While it does not keep you high, it does stop the cravings. And it's supposed to stop the cravings only for opiates and narcotics. And let me tell you, it works in all aspects for me. works in an alcoholic fashion, it works in marijuana fashion, in uh, opiate fashion, and cocaine fashion. So I have a very long road ahead of me, uh, and, and I'm hoping that three years from now, I don't find myself rummaging through a cabinet again, seeking drugs, 
making phone calls to drug dealers that probably no longer exist, but hoping that they do, fishing out phone bills from four years ago, trying to find numbers of people that no longer are on my phone, because when you decide to stop, all of a sudden you say, I'm getting rid of all those drug dealers' numbers. And then when you want your drugs again, you start rummaging through things to find the answer or find the person that you can con contact. But I have to move forward, and that's what I plan on doing. And I have to tell you, I have not felt this proud of myself in many, many years, probably since the last time I did, it, did this back in 2012. Now, for somebody who went through originally a 188-day nightmare of withdrawal symptoms, you would think that they would never go back on that particular drug again and put themselves through it. And I did. I did. And I went through it again, not as bad, which is also a little scary because then I say to myself, well, if the time ever comes, look, you were able to do it with minimal side effects. But that is not the case. I no longer want to be on that drug, and I have no intention of going back on it. So I am proud of myself. And one of the things that started to occur, um, so I thought anyway, was... I felt a little bit of sadness. Now, I don't know if this was psychological based on the fact that in 2012 I was depressed for 106 straight days until I discovered Wellbutrin and it pulled me out of what I was feeling. Um, you know, because a lot of our, our medication and especially addiction is psychological to some extent. Um, obviously, Suboxone carries along with it the physical aspects of it, physical withdrawal symptoms. But psychologically, I could not understand why I wasn't depressed. And on June 20th, just a few short days ago, I felt like I was going to cry. And I did report on this. And my solution was to up my Wellbutrin, my antidepressant from 300 milligrams to 450 milligrams. So that day I emailed my psychiatric nurse, which God bless her, I have to tell you, there may have been times I called her names or said things that were unkind about her. She is absolutely brilliant, she really is. She's a wonderful, wonderful woman. She's kind, she's compassionate, she's smart, she's understanding, and she's easy to work with. And more importantly than anything, she understands the stigma of mental health and bipolar disorder. She understands the statistics uh, of, the, uh, of the limited number of psychiatrists that are out there and or willing to help those that are currently diagnosed with a mental illness. And she finds it appalling, and she actually described that to me very recently. So I emailed her and I told her I'd like to go up to 450 and she doesn't argue with me ever. She wants to do what's right by me, whatever I feel. She's, she puts a lot of trust in me because of what I do for a living and because I am so directly connected to disabilities and mental illness. And that's one of the reasons why I find it rather easy to record a podcast because this is what I do. I do it out in public. I do it out on a, on a wider scale in front of an audience. And when I say wider scale, I could not reach more people than I reach during my podcast. But when you stand in front of people with a microphone and a podium and you walk around an auditorium, to some extent that feels like a bigger audience. But there could be no bigger audience than who I'm speaking to now. South Africa, Belgium, uh, California, Europe, Great Britain, 
Afghanistan. I, I could not believe some of the places that I was reaching. France. I mean, unbelievable. So everybody is listening to Mr. Joe all over the world, and it makes me very happy because I know this. I know that I could not survive without any of you. This is my lifeline. This podcast is what I need to survive and what I need to move on and what I need to feel well in my life. And it is something that I can never give up. It's something I can never take for granted. Because if I do and I lose this, I'm going to lose a piece of my life that will probably lead to detrimental and devastating outcomes. So I upped my Wellbutrin to 450 milligrams, and I thought I was doing pretty well, I have to say. And as of yesterday, and when I say yesterday, I'm speaking of 4.30 a.m. in the morning, I was awoken by probably the most horrific headache that I've ever felt in my life. And for those of you who suffer from migraines, migraine uh, headaches, migraine pain, I honestly do not have an idea how you do it. Because I was awoken by this headache, and when I tell you, I could not function. I got up, could not sleep, could not lay my head on a pillow. I took three Tylenols because I had no Advil in the house. That did not help. Took a shower. I ate breakfast. I continued to get ready for work while my wife watched me struggle and shuffle along with my feet. And I, I literally, I could not look at my son. I could not pick my head up. I could not look into the light. She told me to take a day off. I refused. I said, well, what if this continues? I'm going to need this because I only have eight hours left, which equates to one day up until July 1st. Yes, I, I replenish and I get another 16 days as of July 1st. But I have to be very careful because if I'm feeling this way now, what happens in a few days when I need more time? So I said, I'm going to get to work and I'm going to do the best that I can. And the drive into work was horrific. I could not see. I could not think. The headache was just unexplainable. I can't even describe it. And when I shut the ignition to my car, I, um, I walked into work and I realized at that moment that I could not be at work. For several reasons. One, because of the headache. And also because I started to get this overwhelming feeling of depression. Now, how could this be? I just upped my antidepressant. I should be feeling better. Felt like I wanted to cry. So, my coworkers who surrounded me knew something was wrong because I, I looked like hell. And the headache was a real thing. I had never suffered a migraine like this before. And one of my coworkers actually set up a yoga room that we have for our children with autism. There was nobody using it. And she put me in there and she covered me with blankets and propped up some pillows. And she said, please put your head down and stay here. I took two Excedrins, by the way, Excedrin migraines before I left for work. And at this point, nothing had helped. It's still three Tylenols, two Excedrins, nothing. She covered me up. I laid there. And uh, finally, my boss came into the yoga room and she said, please go 
home. I said, I punched in already. I said, I'm supposed to be here. She said, I don't care. Get out of here. You're not well. I said, okay, I'll make up the time on Saturday. And she looked at me. She goes, would you shut up? She goes, just go home. You're not making up any time, which was very kind of her. I, I, I adore my boss. She's awesome. And she knows how hard I work. And she knows that even if I did punch in and I didn't put in a full day, eventually in the next couple of weeks, I will make up that time. Uh, so she told me to go home. So I drove home, and the drive home was just as difficult as the drive-in, and if not more, because now as I'm driving home, I'm, ne- I'm nervous. I'm scared. I'm anxious. My head is still pounding. I knew I had an appointment that evening at 8 o'clock, and while I could not wait to see my psychiatrist to see what on earth was going on, I was scared to see her. I was scared to face her. I was scared to tell her that I had become a failure with my increased dosage of Welbutrin because that's what seemed to be happening. These effects were not from Suboxone withdrawal. These effects were clearly from the increase in Welbutrin. So at home, as soon as I walked in the door, my, my wife was actually home, not sleeping, but laying down with my son, Mickey. He was taking a nap, and good for my wife. For the first time in a long time, when I pop in during the day or when I speak to her, she's not working. She needs a, to take a break also, and she decided to just kind of lay down. And She was probably doing work over her phone. She certainly wasn't sleeping, but when I came in, I said, wow, this is perfect. I said I could lay down with the two of them, and I honestly could not even get in bed. I was so nervous that I could not even get into bed, even though my head was spinning. So I walked over to the cabinet, and I took a .50 of Klonopin. And within a half hour, I was out like a light. My son and my wife were up. They left me in the bedroom. She went for a walk with the dogs, and I slept for about three hours, possibly two and a half hours. I awoke, and the feeling was worse than before. I felt isolated. I felt scared, I felt anxious, I felt depressed, I felt paranoid, I felt overwhelmed. I still felt tired, yet I still felt energetic. I couldn't wait to see my doctor, but again, I was scared. I didn't know how I was going to make it through an entire day. I honestly didn't. I honestly didn't. Anything I did, any move I make was a task. Here's what I discovered, because all I did was race and think, and my racing thoughts were were just consumed in my brain. On Saturday, my wife and I went to get new vehicles. We had to turn in our lease. Anybody who's been car shopping before will know that it is a it is a stressful experience a lot of times. And my wife jokes and she says every three years, which is when we turn in our lease, that's her least favorite day of the year because most of the time I am so angry in those places and I am unable to make any deals because I don't allow these, peoples to, these people to take advantage of me. But guess what? Mr. Joe is medicated now. So it's going to be a better time. It's going to be a better experience. Well, just so everybody knows, one of the racing thoughts that I had was about my experience at the car dealership. Now, I don't remember it very much. I really don't. I remember a little bit of it, and I'll give you what I remember and what was described to me 
from my wife. What I do know is that I went in there and I made three demands. I said, I want to put $1,000 down on each vehicle. I want to pay the exact same price that I've been paying all along, nothing more, nothing less. I want the same vehicles, and I want you to take my two cars early. I said, that's the deal. I know that, that you could do that. I said, you're still going to make plenty of money off me. That's what I want. I don't want any negotiations. So, of course, he said, that's what we're going to do. We'll work it out. And two or three trips back and forth to the manager. And finally, he came back within a $10 range of my price, $10 over. And I looked at him. I said, I'm sorry. You know, and I know. I know what they want. They want me to agree to it. And my wife is saying, you know, what? Come on, it's only 10 bucks a piece. And I I said, I'm sorry. I said, I know I can go to another Nissan dealership anywhere in Mr. Joe's neighborhood and I can get what I want. I said, and the fact that you won't even agree or just do what you said you were going to do helps me to understand that I and we, we cannot make a deal. So I shook his hand. I got up and he, and he says, wait. He goes, let me try one more time. So he goes back, and now the manager comes out, and he sits down, and he says, oh, I remember you guys, because we had gone shopping there or browsing back in March. You know, he tries talking to me nicely, and he says, listen, he goes, let's make you happy, let's make me happy. Instead of paying this, pay $5 over. Instead of paying this, pay $7 over. So he went down $5 in one, $3 in another, and he was still over my mark. Now, come on, Mr. Joe, you're right there. I said, I am sorry. I said, now it is the principle that you will still fight this. I said, you're talking about a few dollars. You may say that I'm talking about a few dollars. I said, but you're the one that's making a killing here. I said, I'm the one that's got to pay for my three children and, and provide for a family. And I don't know if that's the right way to think because the truth is, so does he. So does he. So I stood up. I said, thank you very much for your time. And I went to shake his hand and he would not shake my hand. So I held my hand down. I said, you have to be kidding me. I said, and I remember this. I said, you are not going to shake my hand. I said, you're going to leave me hanging here like a D-I-C-K in front of everybody. I said, that's fine. That's where it all goes blank. I pulled my hand back. I said to my wife, according to her, let's get the F out of here. F you. F you all. Now, according to her, when I pulled back before I started cursing at everybody, he did say, fine, let's make the deal. I'm not going to lose you over a few dollars. I didn't hear that. Now, my wife would not lie, but I did not hear that. The rage inside Mr. Joe I screamed at this man. I made a scene to the point where my wife was embarrassed and started crying. We walked out. She's like, what are you doing? We got the deal you wanted. I don't understand. I said, F this, F them. Then another manager came out and he, he talked with me. And he calmed me down. He said, you know, I have you on videotape. and You got no right to come into an establishment and talk like that. And I explained to him that last time your managers chased me down the block. They were su such, provided so much pressure on the deal that I tried to leave, and they chased me on feet. He said, well, we don't do things like that anymore here. I, you know, and he, he tried to calm me down, and he did. And I shook his hand. I said goodbye. And then it's amazing because even with all this, he turned around. He goes, hey, you still want that deal? It's on the table. 
So my wife looks at me with these sad puppy dog's eyes, and I, I look at the man, and I go, I'm doing this for my wife, not for you. And we walked back in, we made a deal, and truthfully, I felt like garbage. I felt so guilty. I apologized to this man. I was an animal. I was an absolute raging lunatic. So before all these feelings that arrived within my body, within my soul, within my mind yesterday, the depression, the anxiety, the isolation, this scared and anxious feeling that I cannot even describe, I was clearly becoming very irritable on this dosage of medication. And now that I think back, there were several times over the course of the last couple of days that I definitely snapped at my wife. Um, definitely times where I was unreasonable, argumentative for no reason. And uh, clearly it peaked on Saturday at this car dealership. Sunday was a good day. I spent the day with my sister, my nephew, but something wasn't right. I didn't feel what I felt yesterday, but something wasn't right. So I went to the doctor last night. And I got to tell you, when I got there and I started talking to her, I felt a lot better, which shows me that talking is a very, very important thing when it comes to bipolar disorder. It is, it is absolutely a key element because when I talk, when I do my podcast, when I speak to a professional, I feel better. And by the way, when I left, I finally called the psychiatr- uh, psychologist that was advised to me or recommended to me. I left him a message, so... We will wait, we will see, but I am going to follow up. If he does not call me, I'm going to call him back because I realized when I left that office that talking is something that I need. I explained all the symptoms to my doctor, and here's a couple of things that we figured out. Number one, we figured out that I had been off the Suboxone long enough and tapered well enough that this was probably not a result of the Suboxone, nor, more importantly, was the feeling on June 20th of quote-unquote crying or wanting to cry a result of the suboxone withdrawal. We believe it is something that I made up in my mind, and I will tell you right now because I am man enough to admit it. Not only has the issues with my mother and the messages that have been left, and there's been a few more that have been disturbing, it has definitely been toxic in my life, and it has definitely caused me pain and anxiety and stress and it has been a trigger for my bipolar disorder here is what I was longing to do and I figured it out in the doctor's office and I said it to her and she agreed with me Mr. Joe is searching for mania I am searching for hypomania I am searching for mania I am searching for a way to feel that feeling I am looking for that sexual desire I am looking for that confidence. I am looking for that excitement. I have even been thinking about old times, partying with my friends, playing music, reminiscing, thinking about clubbing and barring and all those things. I want to feel like I am flying high. And I believe that on June 20th, Mr. Joe decided that I need to get up. I need to go up in my mind and... If I can't do drugs, and now I'm off Suboxone, if I can't get high naturally, if I can't get high off of drugs, well, guess what? I'm going to get high 
off of a prescribed drug. So I'm going to up my antidepressant and maybe, just maybe, it will outweigh the mood stabilizer and I'll get up there and I'll be happy again. That's what I, that's what I truly believe. That's what I truly believe. I was longing for mania. And she agreed with me. And she immediately told me that I have too much Welbutrin in my body. She was not happy about the increase to 450. And she asked me to drop down to 300 milligrams, which is what I did today. I am back on 300. I have to say, after talking with her, she hit the nail right on the head. She made me feel better, not only because she listened and because she advised and because she spoke a great deal of intelligence to me. When I described my symptoms to her, I just couldn't really put it into words how I felt. And she looked me in the eyes and she said to me, Mr. Joe, what you're describing, and and by the way, I've never heard this phrase, and you can Google it, and it's all over the Internet, and I had no idea it even exists. She said, Mr. Joe, what you're describing here is something that feels like or is called impending doom. I said, holy God. I said, that's it. I said, that's what I am. I don't know. It's an uneasy feeling. I said, I don't know what's wrong. I feel like I'm out of sorts. I'm foggy. I'm not in my own body. I'm nervous about everything that's going to take place. I feel like everything's going to be a disaster. And she stopped me again. And she said, impending doom. And that's what I felt. And that could not describe it any better. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. And I told her that I would be using it on my podcast. And here I am using it on my podcast. Because that is certainly not only something that the wrong medication or the wrong dosage of medication can cause that impending doom. But that's a real feeling. That's a feeling that goes along with anxiety. Now, I've never had it to this level because and this may not make sense, I think things feel worse when they are medication-induced, if that makes sense. Um, When I suffer paranoia, when I suffer anxiety based on an improper dosage or the wrong medication, it always feels so much more uncontrollable and so much worse than just the regular anxiety or the regular depression or the regular nervousness. And maybe it's because I feel like there's a chemical in me and that no matter what I do, no matter what I act like, no matter what I tell myself until that chemical subsides or gets released or removed from my body or stabilizes, I'm not going to have control of the situation. And uh, that's how I felt. I felt like until I got back down to 300 milligrams, I was not going to have control now. When I left the office, I felt a lot better, which showed me that, you know what, maybe I do have control to some extent. But there is no doubt that this was a horrible experience for me. Um, It's probably really important when you're feeling a certain way. Actually, it's detrimental. Actually, it has to be done. You need to talk to your doctor. You need to discuss these things. You need to explain. You need to talk about your feelings, what you're feeling. Maybe we could have addressed the fact that I really wasn't sad. Maybe we could have figured out that I was longing for that mania beforehand and she would have never recommended that I go up to 450. 
Maybe she would have had another recommendation. And I have to tell you, before I left, she mentioned a couple of things to me. Uh, she mentioned Latuda again. Um, and, and, and we're not going to go with that yet. We're going to give this 300 another month. We're going to see how I feel. She also gave me another medication called, and I cannot pronounce it, so I'm going to spell it for you. It's V-R-A-Y-L-A-R. Rylair? Who knows? Rylair? I don't know. They're all antipsychotics. That's what I do know. And um, If this Welbutrin and this Lamictal do not stabilize and keep me well for the next month, it may be time to try something else. I think I'm going to be okay with the 300 milligrams, but that is if I get my act together and stop longing for this mania and realize that the happiness and the wonderful things in life that I look for, that I long for, that I want, are right there in front of my face. They are with my child, they're with my family, they're with my health, they're with my sobriety, they're with my desire to get well, my desire to stay well. And I'm very sorry that I'm getting emotional on my podcast. Mr. Joe does not do this a whole lot. But I have to um, have to keep my crap together <laughs> for uh, lack of better terms. And it, that is not easy with bipolar disorder. It just is not. It doesn't matter if we're medicated or not. So please, if you're out there and you have bipolar disorder, I need you to understand this. You're not alone. And if I have not said that directly to my audience, I'm saying it now. And I may have hinted towards it. I may have spoken many topics that relate to the fact that we're together. But I've never really come out and said these words. You are not alone. You're no different than me. Yeah, your symptoms might be different. We might suffer different depression time frames and different mania time frames. Some of you may not really become manic. Some of you may not become depressed like me a lot. I suffer more from the mania. Some of you may not even be addicts. The vast majority of you may never have tried drugs to self-medicate. Some of you were on drugs your entire life. Like me, to some extent. 16 years old, I started smoking marijuana. That's a drug. Now... Again, it's important you understand that you're not alone. And that's why I do these podcasts, to help people understand that they are not alone. I am with you. I am here for you. And I will always be here for you. And I know that I could not survive without you. So if you have any comments, if you have any questions, if you want to talk to Mr. Joe, you are always free to reach out. My email address is Mr. Joe BP at yahoo.com you could find me on twitter at mr bipolar joe reach out if you need to because i love reaching out to you if you are living with a mental illness i ask that you continue to work hard i I try my best to work hard if you love or you care about somebody with a mental illness i ask you to continue to support that person in the best way that you know how and if you are struggling with a mental illness or an addiction for that matter. I urge you to keep fighting, and most importantly, soldier on. Thank you for listening to Mr. Joe's Bipolar Podcast.
Everybody have a great day, and I'll talk to you soon.